0: I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We began a series several weeks ago on spiritual gifts or manifestations of the spirit. Those are interchangeable terms. The spiritual gifts is the term that's most often used in the body of Christ. And, um, uh, and it's not an incorrect term, but it's technically not, um, well, it's not the best term. It's not the term that, the, that Paul used. Paul used the term manifestations of the spirit. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Notice the word gifts is in italics. In most places, uh, uh, well, any time in the King James translation, the word is in italics. It means the translators added it. For the most part, they did a great job in the, what they added to help us uh, gain understanding. But in this case, I think they missed it. Because the 12th chapter First 1 Corinthians does not just talk about what people consider to be spiritual gifts or more technically correct, manifestations of the Spirit. But it also includes the body of Christ and ministry gifts too. So the um, uh, most people have the idea that everything involved in chapter 12 has to do with spiritual gifts, and it doesn't. In the original translation, the original Greek, it says, now concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Some of the modern translations are beginning to, to translate it uh, a little bit more accurately. The word spiritual certainly needs a little bit of Um, enhancement for us to understand what he's talking about the word spirituals literally means things pertaining to and of the holy ghost so we could translate this verse uh, probably best by saying now concerning things pertaining to and of the holy ghost brethren i would not have you ignorant now realize this is the holy ghost inspiring paul to write these words so it's literally the holy ghost saying that he doesn't want the body of christ ignorant about him Let that sink in for a second. God does not want you ignorant about himself. He doesn't want you ignorant about the way that he works. He doesn't want you ignorant about what he does. He doesn't want you ignorant about anything pertaining to the agent, the Holy Spirit, who is the agent that is at work in the earth to accomplish the will and the plan and the purpose of God. God wants you to know how he operates and what he will do. Now, skip down to verse 4. He says, now there are diversities of gifts. This word gifts is not in the italics, is not in italics, which means it's in the original Greek. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of administrations with the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit, the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith. The Amplified Translation says special faith. I think that's a good, um, uh, a good description because everybody's got saving faith. He's got to be talking about a different measure or a different operation of the Holy Ghost than just saving faith. So to another, faith or special faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healings by the same spirit. In the original translation, both gifts and healings are in the plural every time that they're used. A plurality of gifts for a plurality of healings. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, divers or different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but all these worketh that one and the self same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will now I want you to notice something first off verses 4, 5 and 6 speak of the Godhead diversities of gifts but it's the same spirit differences of administrations but the same Lord and diversities of operations but it's the same God which worketh all in all so what he's saying is the manifestation of the spirit first of all encompasses all the work of the Godhead secondly In verse 11 it says, But all these work at that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. It It means two things specifically that I want you to recognize, and that is the manifestation, this list of nine manifestations of the Spirit, encompasses all the work of the Godhead and everything that the Holy Ghost does. Now when you know that, it becomes a whole lot easier task to discern whether or not what people say is God really is God. There's a lot of claims being made in the body of Christ and always have been and always will be about God said this, God told me that, God did this, and so forth. And a lot of those things fall outside the purview of these nine manifestations of the Spirit. So the question has to be asked, how? How could God do something outside of this list where he said, this is it? Do you get what I'm going at? Do you understand what I'm saying? You can tell a lot by what God will do by seeing what he won't do. And he's telling us right here in this list of nine manifestations that he won't operate outside of these things which means everything God does falls into one of these categories in some way or another. Now we've talked a little bit about these nine manifestations of the spirit and we want to talk a little bit further Notice that three of them say something. Three of them are vocal gifts, diversity, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. Three of them do something, working of miracles, gift of faith, or special faith, and gifts of healings. And three of them reveal something, the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. Now we're talking about the revelation gifts, and I want to talk a little bit further about these things. One of the things the Lord really has impressed me on is to take my time with this stuff rather than just going through and giving definitions. But to take time and talk about it and and tell you uh, examples and stories about things and how they've operated. So we want to do that this morning. To turn with me over to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is a good example for us to recognize that although we can divide these nine manifestations of the Spirit separately and look at them separately... Very often, perhaps even most often, they work hand in hand. It's just like the fingers of your hand. You can identify the individual fingers, but your hand most often works together with all your fingers in concert. So it is with the gifts of the Spirit. Acts chapter 9, Paul has met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's blinded by the glory of that light. And it says in verse 10, there was a certain, a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many by many of this man... How much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, The Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Now this encompasses this story encompasses the three gifts of revelation. Let me define them for you again. The word of knowledge is supernatural revelation of certain facts and events in the mind of God. The word of wisdom is. The supernatural revelation of the purpose and plan of God. Discerning of spirits is divine revelation or insight into the spirit realm, literally the ability to see into the spirit realm. Now notice the first thing it says about Ananias, there was a certain disciple, notice he's not a minister, he's just a layman, just a church member as we would call him in in modern terminology, that there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias and to him said the Lord in a vision, he had a vision. In other words, he's seeing into the spirit realm. So here's discerning of spirits. Now, any revelation gift, any manifestation of the Holy Ghost to bring revelation is designed for several purposes or or could be designed for several purposes, but ultimately comes down to taking action in some way or another. And here the action is identified the Lord said unto him in this vision, Arise and go into the street which is called straight. It's telling him what to do. Here's the plan and the purpose of God revealed. The word of wisdom. Arise and go into the street which is called straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Before, For behold, he prayeth. Now here's the word of knowledge beginning to operate. Here are certain facts or events. How would Ananias know where Paul was or Saul was? His name hadn't been changed yet. But how would Ananias know where he is? except by revelation of the Holy Ghost. Furthermore, it says that Saul, the Lord tells Ananias that Saul, verse 12, has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now what is this? This is revelation, the word of knowledge to Ananias of something that's already happened. What has already happened? Well, Saul has seen in a vision, discerning of spirits, a man named Ananias coming in to where he is, putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Now, what's interesting about this to consider is that it's a word of knowledge to Ananias, but it's a word of wisdom to Saul. Because when Saul has the revelation, discerning of spirits by seeing the vision, What is revealed to him and what he sees in the spirit realm is something that hasn't yet happened. It's future, which is always the word of wisdom concerning the plan and the purpose of God. Now, Ananias argues with the Lord a little bit about this because he's heard about Saul, heard about the damage that he's caused to the church. So Ananias answers and says, Lord, I've heard by many of this man. He's hurt the Christians in Jerusalem He's here to do the same thing. I always interject my interpretation of this. It sounds like he's saying if blind is the way that he is, isn't that a good thing? Wouldn't that make it harder for him to carry out his destructive plan upon the church here at Damascus? But here's another word of wisdom that comes along. The Lord answers and says in verse 15, Go thy way, for he's a chosen vessel unto me, planning the purpose of God, to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He hadn't done that yet. Here's the Lord revealing to Ananias the future plan for Paul in his ministry. For I must show him, will show him, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. He shows him what Paul's ministry is—a taste of what Paul's ministry is going to be. Now, we know that Ananias had to share this because Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, and he tells us about it. If Ananias had kept this to himself, Luke would never have this information to share. Now, whether or not he went in to where Saul was, laid hands on him, Saul received his sight, and then Ananias told him, here's what the Lord told me about his plan for you. We don't know that. But somewhere along the way, it was revealed. Somewhere along the way, it was revealed. So you can see all three of the revelation gifts in operation in one one instance. Discerning of spirits, the ability to see into the spirit realm, was manifested when both of them, Ananias and Saul, had visions. The word of knowledge was manifest for Ananias or to Ananias by telling him where Saul was, revealing to him where Saul was and where he could find him. The word of wisdom was manifest to both Saul and Ananias, to Saul concerning Ananias coming in and laying hands on him, to Ananias concerning Paul's future ministry. Now, the Word of Wisdom often confirms God's plan for a ministry call. For example, Moses had this when he talked to God in the burning bush. Sometimes the direction is more clear and more obvious about what God wants to do when he brings and manifests forth a Word of Wisdom. Sometimes the the direction is not so clear. I'll remind you of a story that we talked about before over in Acts chapter 21 where it tells us about how Agabus, a prophet from Judea, came down to where Paul and his company were. Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. He's been warned in every city that he goes to that they're going to put him in jail and and bring him harm. But Agabus comes down. He's a prophet. He comes down. He takes Paul's girdle, the belt that he ties his robe with, and he ties his hands and says, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall they do in Jerusalem to the man that owns this girdle. Well, all the company that was there, everybody except Agabus, is identified as is imploring Paul not to go to Jerusalem, assuming that the action to be taken by the revelation of God is not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul, is, Paul receives the word of wisdom, not as direction not to go, but confirmation that what he knows is going to happen is the right thing. Because it's exactly what happens. It's exactly in line with what Acts 19.21 says that Paul purposed in the spirit to do. When he was in Ephesus, it says Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must see Rome. He knew in his heart that that's the thing to do. But for Paul, the word of wisdom came as revelation that he's on the right track. We know he's on the right track because after he gets to Jerusalem... In Acts chapter 21, verse 23, I think it is, Jesus appears to him after he's taken captive in Jerusalem. Jesus appears to him and said, Fear not, Paul, for as you have appeared unto me, uh, as you have appeared and testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must also do in Rome. But if Paul had missed it, that would have been the perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, Well, Paul, what are you doing here? I told you not to come. I manifested the Holy Ghost several times so that you wouldn't get here. But that's not what he says. So the direction is oftentimes left up to the individual to determine based on the inward witness of what steps to take. Now, here's where a lot of people have gotten into error and made a lot of mistakes in the church because they picked up things by the Holy Ghost and they put their own interpretation, just like Luke and Paul's company, Philip and his daughters. Who are used to operating in the things of God too, as related in Acts chapter 21. A lot of times people will sense something or pick something up by the Holy Ghost, whether it's just a spiritual perception or it's a manifestation of the Spirit, and they'll assume that they know what it means. Well, let me make a suggestion to you. Nobody knows what you should do except you. I don't care what manifestation of the Spirit's in operation. I don't care what they claim to know from God. God doesn't lead you by other people. God leads you by the Holy Ghost. Now, if what they're telling you bears witness with your spirit and what you've already got on the inside, then that's fine. But you're still following the inward witness. So many times we want to abdicate our responsibility to know the leading of God for ourselves and trust somebody else that's used of God in a greater way than we perceive that we can be or are used of him. And let them decide for us. That's a dangerous spot to be in. Because nobody cares about you like you do. That's why it's important to follow the inward witness. Now, as I said, sometimes the, the, uh, the direction is more clear. There's no room for interpretation. Like with Moses, when the Lord spoke to him out of the burning bush and said, tell Pharaoh, let my people go well there's nothing to interpret there that's just direct direction guidance by this manifestation of the spirit of god speaking to him out of the burning bush there was a um in 1989 the spring of 1989 the church was a little over three years old and we started searching out a a, uh, another meeting place we had been meeting in a elementary school in Mission Viejo, packing in and out for a little over three years, almost three and a half, and we found an industrial building in just behind the Irvine Auto Center that, uh, that we contracted for and uh, made arrangements to rent and so forth. Well, we were, uh, we meaning me, I was uh, so new at this stuff, I really didn't know what, what, what I was involved. And I had no idea that there would be so many restrictions placed on the church being able to use a piece of property in a building just to have services. But we went through this year plus process that was supposed to take 90 days, and uh, and finally got a conditional use permit to use the building. Now part of um, uh, we had a lot of battles to fight along the way, and God was faithful and he brought us through. But after we received our conditional use permit, one of the uh, the restrictions, and, and you can understand it, it's I'm not faulting the restriction that the city imposed upon us, but uh, but they consider parking and traffic flow to be a real issue, even for a small church, and we were certainly a much smaller church then than we are now. And so we had to obtain off-site parking uh, agreements with the surrounding buildings and so forth so that we could use their parking on Sundays at the time when when our use was greatest and theirs was least. And so everything worked out fine. We got everything that we needed to, needed to get. I, I don't mean to minimize it and make it sound like it was an easy process, just took a little longer than it was supposed to. It was a day-by-day struggle, and the city was very much against us having a conditional use permit and using the building that we used because of some of the actions of other churches nearby. So it was, it was a tough, tough sledding for us for a long time. But we finally got it, and then it's just within a couple of months of having the conditional use permit, we received a letter from the city saying that we had not complied with uh, the parking agreements that were required. And if we didn't do something about it within 30, 60 days, I don't know what it was, but some pretty short period of time, that they would revoke our condition of use permit. Well, apparently what we had done is we'd gotten all the agreements that we needed to with the surrounding properties, but the building that we were in had a front tenant, and we hadn't got their agreement. And so I had kind of casually mentioned to the guy, when you'd see him, you know, during the week or whatever, hey, we've got to get you to sign an agreement for us for parking and so on and so forth. Well, this guy was a great big guy, great big guy, and he was, um, I don't mean to be critical, but I don't know how to say it without just, I don't know how to convey the understanding without just saying what it was. He's one of these guys that big, loud, blowhard, sucks all the energy out of the room, (laughs) likes to be in charge and make sure you know that he is. And so I wasn't looking forward. His uh, his response to me when I casually mentioned it was not favorable. Oh, you need something from me. Great. So I wasn't looking forward to talking to this guy. So I let, the, I let one week go by and two weeks go by. Now I'm down pretty close to the, to the deadline. I've still got a couple of weeks left to go before the deadline. But I'm just dreading going to talk to this guy. Now the office is that we had were upstairs on one end of the building and the sanctuary was at the other end the far end and uh and so i was walking in the sanctuary one day probably 10 o'clock in the morning i guess just walking in the sanctuary nobody was there and so i'm just walking around praying and the lord spoke to me really really strongly he said go talk to so-and-so called his name he said go talk to so-and-so now and tell him i sent you I thought oh this is going to be good <laughs> now when the Lord speaks to you like that there ain't no backing out I mean this is a matter of beating us now this is not and I've been making excuses about waiting for the right time well now it's time not my time but it's time so I walked directly from the sanctuary out the side door the emergency exit door to the front of the building and let the receptionist know that I was there and would like to see the boss. Well, I walked into the boss's office, and he had everybody that was anybody in his business, in his, in his company, sitting around, and everybody's got this smug look on their face. And I'm thinking, Lord, you have set me up into an ambush. <laughs> what is going on here? So I sat down, and I said, uh, said Mr. So-and-so, Uh, I don't know if you remember or not, but I mentioned to you some weeks back that we need to get you to sign an agreement with us for parking rights. Now, the the parking rights, I I can well understand why people would be resistant to them. It was a real onerous agreement. You pretty much had to sign away all your rights to your own parking all week long whenever the church wants to use it. So it was a tough thing, and and I understood that. But I sat down and, and told him, that I was there to talk to him about it. And he started laughing. Real loud voice kind of looked around the room and said, Well, boys, we all know why he's here, why the preacher's here. I stayed quiet and just listening. To it. <clears throat> Finally, he kept going on. I said, "Wait, Wait, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean you all know why I'm here? What's going on? He said, You're here because I sent you my letter. I said, What letter? He said, the letter I just had delivered to you 30 minutes ago. I said, I haven't seen the letter. He said, then why are you here? Now, here's the moment of truth. He said, why are you here? Now, folks, I don't know if you know me well enough to know, this is not my personality whatsoever. I don't go around telling people God told me stuff. My opinion on it is that nobody really should go along around telling people things like that unless god does tell them to tell it i mean just say what you've got if it's god we'll all see it you don't have to waste your time telling me what's god and what's not i know god well enough to figure that part out so this is just very foreign to me on every level but he said so then why are you here room gets quiet and i said because god sent me tried to say it as strong as i could Trembling like a leaf on the inside. (laughs) He said, oh. And I said, well, can I ask what you said in the letter? He said, I can't believe you're lying, sitting here lying and pretending that you haven't seen the letter. I said, I haven't seen your letter. I said, when did it come? He said, I sent it about 30 minutes ago. I said, who would you give it to? He said, I gave it to your secretary. And I said, well, call my secretary, see if she's given it to me he had somebody pick up the phone called my secretary she said that, they had, that I hadn't seen the letter they didn't believe it he sent one of his guys back over to the back side of the building to our offices to pick up the letter and it came back to him sealed well when the guy came back in with the letter we're all sitting there in awkward silence waiting for those five or ten minutes to go by I'm telling myself just look cool just look cool just look cool he came back in and the guy and the the boss looked at him and said, "Well, what about it?" And He handed it back to him and he said, "Boss, the letter hadn't been opened." Well, this guy went white. White as a sheet. And that was my opportunity to say again, like I told you, God sent me here. So he sat there for a second didn't say anything and then I said, Well, can I read the letter now? So he handed me the letter, and I opened it up, and it was a real threatening, you know, if you don't do this, that, and the other, then we're not going to give you the agreement you want, and you won't be able to have church, and all this kind of stuff. So I read the letter and sat it back on the desk, and I said, well, I said, looks like you're in a position to really hurt us. I said, but it also looks like you have evidence that God sent me here which would indicate that God's kind of on our side in this thing. What's it going to be? Well, he signed that thing so fast, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> All because of a word of wisdom. Now, I could have gone in and tried to talk him into it, I could have gone in there and tried to reason with him, which I normally would have done. But thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Now, the word of knowledge and discerning of spirits can be similar in the fact that seeing into the spirit realm can make you aware of the spiritual condition of either an individual. Well, let me say it this way. Let me back up and say it this way. The Bible tells us that there are three parts to the spirit realm, angels, evil spirits, and human spirits. Discerning of spirits enables you to see into the spirit realm and see the condition of any or all of those. But the word of knowledge can bring you information of the presence of an evil spirit or an angel or the condition of a human spirit. About 25 years ago, I had an experience that that really impacted me in a great degree. It really shook me. Uh, We were... um, had just finished the service, and there was somebody that came in um, or came up to me after the service. It wasn't the first time they had been there. I'd seen them several times before, but I, uh, they're not really somebody that you'd consider part of our church family. But they'd come several times before, and, and I'd seen them and, and had become aware of who they were. Well, this guy came up to me after the service. I, um, I've really been hesitating to tell this, but I don't like this story. And the Lord told me two weeks ago that I needed to share it, and I've just conveniently run out of time in the last two services. <laughs> I just don't like this story. But anyway, it's true. It happens, so I'll tell you like the Lord wants me to. So this guy comes up to me after the service and says hello, shakes hands with me. Now, it's, uh, I need to back up and say this as, as well. After services, I'm really susceptible to things like this because I've been in the presence of God. Uh, I hate to call it the anointing because a lot of people use the word casually. But it stands to reason that if you're speaking what God wants you to say, you're going to be anointed to say it, right? So, assuming that I've been in that condition, then as soon as the service is over, that anointing is still there for a short period of time. Now, some people will come up after the service and want we'll to talk about nothing, and they'll suck it out of you and make sure it goes away in a hurry. <laughs> but if you um, but if you're handling things that are important and necessary, then it'll linger. Now, what I mean by that: if somebody has a has a real need for something, then and it's still there and it's still present and, and so forth. Well, that was the case with the, when this guy came up to me. The anointing was still there and the presence of God was still, I still sense the presence of God. And so he came, come up, came up to me and he shook my hand, reintroduced himself. I think I'd met him once before, but he reminded me of what his name was. And as soon as he touched my hand, I don't want to overemphasize this, but I was flooded with a homosexual thought. Now, folks, I know who I am well enough to know that I don't think homosexual thoughts. Now, the devil can bring any thought to your mind at any time. And I've had a lot of impure thoughts come to my mind. Not many of them homosexual in nature. But I've had a lot of impure thoughts come to my mind. But this one came with a force. And I said within myself. Dear Lord what is that? And I heard on the inside unclean spirit. Now let me explain something to you. The things you see going on in the world around us. They're going to increase. Increase. The the rise of homosexuality or the growth of homosexuality will increase. This transgender idiocy that's going along. Stuff like that's going to increase more and more and more. And I understand completely why some people get taken up in homosexuality or other perversions and then later on wonder what in the world happened to them. Because the more you give yourself over to the wrong spirits. The more you associate with people with the wrong spirits. Then these thoughts come to you with force. And if I hadn't known who I was in Christ. And had a foundation of the word. I can well understand how I might have wondered. Why would I think something like that? Maybe I'm gay. Now that's happened three times in 30 years where it's been the same thing, not the same force behind it. The first one was the strongest. But there have been three times in 30 years where I've had somebody come to me with the same response, and I know every time it's an unclean spirit. Now, one guy stayed with our church for 20 years. And the first time it happened, I passed it off and said, no, I'm just wrong about that. I'm just wrong and there would be times over those 20 years if the spirit of God was not on me and if the anointing wasn't in operation or wasn't present then I'd have nothing and that made me think that I was wrong in the times that I would have it but on the times that the anointing was still there those thoughts would come Now, his situation was not homosexuality. I'm pretty well convinced that the devil doesn't care what he gets you involved in as long as it's wrong. In his case, he was just living a double life and had been all the time. Now, there's a lot of things you can do with that. I could beat myself up and say, well, maybe I should have known and should have done something to help. But I have to go back to... Realizing that you have to, you can rely as much on what God doesn't tell you as what he does. If there was anything I could do, then God would have told me. And he didn't. So I have to assume that means there was nothing I could do. Well, then why would God want you to know things like that? I've had the Holy Ghost manifest himself over the 30 years we've been pastoring. I've had him manifest himself more to protect the church than for any other reason. We were... Um, after we bought this property and, and got involved with the, the building process and the contractors and the lawsuits and all the other stuff that was going on, there was, um, uh, in 1994, we timed the the closing of our property and the starting of the construction to avoid paying this, the county property taxes on this uh, this property. Now, the way that it worked was that if we started by a certain date... Then in February, early February, it was, well, actually, it was February the 1st. we started on February the 1st, then we could avoid property taxes for that year during the time that we were under construction. Well, we did start by that date, but the contractors didn't fulfill the bonds and the requirements that the contract provided for, so we had to tell them to stop work or else we were open to a huge liability if something had happened. So we stopped the work, and then the next time the, the the county came by to inspect the property, work had been suspended, so they charged us for the property taxes. They issued us a bill well we we fought it, and we negotiated with them and we tried to tell them what was going on and all this kind of stuff for years and when the time came that we refinanced the loan and started getting into the building the uh, the lender wouldn't accept the liability of the property taxes, which is about $240,000. They wouldn't accept the liability as a lien against their claim on the, on the land. So they required us to borrow additional money so that they could pay the property taxes where they didn't get the, get the liability off of us from the county. Well, we, we didn't want to do that. It was just the wrong thing to do in our opinion, but we didn't have any choice. It was the only way we could close on the property or close on the the new loan and so forth, so we had no choice, so we paid the property taxes in protest. well, after the fact, we had to try to we tried to negotiate with the county to get our two hundred and forty thousand dollars back, and they just wouldn't have any part of it once they've got your money, their attitude is that's it, which we knew ahead of time and why we were trying to keep from paying it. So, anyway, came down to the to the only solution that we had was to sue the county, so we did and we're in the um, discovery pra- phase of the process where they have to show us their evidence, we have to show them what we've got, and so forth and uh, and there was a piece of paper, a letter that we had received from the the county, the assessor 's office, that informed us that they had come by. And found that work had been suspended. So they were levying the property taxes against the church. Well I couldn't find that letter. Because. They were saying. That. The time period that they had allowed churches to do this before us. Was as a courtesy. But it was not required by law. And so they were saying that the law was changed. Or in or they were interpreting the law to be different than the way that they had applied it. So the churches not just ours, but any church that was under construction was due those property taxes to the county until they began having services on their property. Well, this this letter said just the opposite, and I couldn't find that letter for anything. So we're going through discovery. We start the trial. The lawyer keeps saying, Mike, you said that this letter is there, but it's not any the, the discovery from the other side, which means that the other side was withholding it if they had it. shock of shocks that the government might do something that's not forthright, huh? But we couldn't find it. So we're, we're in a particularly bad place in the trial. So I left the, uh, left the courthouse, went back to my office, sat in my office, I mean, bad day. I sat there and I said, Lord, I have looked for that letter everywhere there is to look. Surely I wouldn't have thrown it away. But after so many times looking through everything that you had, I got to wondering, did I really throw that thing away? Has it been destroyed? If it has, our goose is cooked. We've lost this case. So I'm sitting there at my desk and I just said, Lord, where is that letter? Even if I threw it away, tell me so that I know where it is. And he said, it's in your bottom right-hand drawer. Just as clear as a bell. No hesitation, no begging. Lord, where's the letter? Oh, it's right there. Now, I talked to him about this letter hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Now, as soon as it came to me, I thought, that can't be God. I've looked at that, that drawer a dozen times. So I asked again said, Lord, please, where is the letter? He says, it's in your bottom right-hand drawer. And I'm thinking, this is weird. i would never heard the devil speak to me like this before. <laughs> so I opened my bottom right-hand drawer. I went through the same stack I'd been through. I've almost got that stack of stuff memorized. And all of a sudden, there it is. Right there. And it broke the case open. It, it got us $240,000 back for the church. It was the only thing that good. It was the only thing that could have turned things around. And here's a word of knowledge to find a lost letter. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Let me finish with this. Beth and I, I'm not sure what year it was, but we had been pastoring the church for a number of years. We had been a lot of places, ministering and so forth, but never really had taken a vacation. So we decided we were going to go to, on somebody's recommendation, we were going to go to Hawaii. And we did. We went to the hotel that they recommended to us, old-time, old-style Hawaiian hotel, real nice. Just a wonderful experience. I think we've been back to Hawaii every year since then. Well, about uh, toward the latter end of the week, I wake up in the morning, I wake up early in Hawaii, I guess, I don't know if it's time change or just atmosphere or whatever it is, but I woke up early in the morning, just as it was becoming light, and I was laying on my side facing the lanai, that's outside porch for you non-Hawaii people. And as I looked out there, I saw an angel. There were eight-foot seedlings and great big guys. head was almost touching the ceiling. I won't go through the description of everything about him, but, man, he was big, strong, had on a breastplate of gold. It was gold, but you could see through it. It was almost clear. I, I've never been able to describe that. I've never The closest thing I've come to it is the old um, toys that we had as kids where it's got a, the, the human body. It's got the guy with the clear plastic chest and the, the heart and the lungs and other stuff in, on the inside. It was like that, kind of. So anyway, I looked at that guy, and my first thought was, who in the world are you? And then he broke into a big grin. If it hadn't been for that grin, I might not have gone to talk to him. <laughs> but he broke into a big grin. So I got up out of the bed and walked out and, onto the lanai Closed the sliding glass door behind me, and sat down in the chair. He never did sit down; he stayed standing. He said, "I'm sent from the throne of God with a message from Almighty God." And he started telling me things about the church. Started giving us direction, things to do, things to change, things to tweak. We must have talked for twenty minutes. And after he finished, I would ask him questions. He would answer those questions. At a time like that, you think there's a thousand things that you would ask, but you only ask the things that are on your heart. There's a lot of things I'd like to ask him now that I've thought it through. But you don't think about those things because it's a spiritual experience. And he disappeared. Well, we came back and made some of those adjustments. We made all the adjustments that he told us to make. And it, it greatly helped our church. Just greatly helped our church. Next year, we tried to duplicate the, the vacation experience. We went back to the same hotel, stayed the same room, <laughs> ate in the same places. <laughs> and we learned a lesson. You can't duplicate it. You can't make it happen again. But toward the end of the week, I'm laying on my side, opened my eyes just as the sun's coming up. Looked out on the little eye, and there he is again. Got out of bed, went out there, and talked to him again. This time he only told me stuff about me personally. And I asked him about that. After he told me, finished telling me everything that he had to say, I said, you haven't talked to me about the church. Why are you talking to me about me? He said something that I've never told anybody before, so I won't tell you. (laughs) No, he said something that I've never said before. He said, As it goes with you, so it will go with the church. Then he disappeared. Now, I've never seen that guy again. Two years, same experience, same situation. But in all fairness, we did change hotels. (laughs) But I've never seen him again. Now, what is that? That's discerning of spirits because it's all into the spirit realm. Coupled with a word of wisdom that gave direction about personal stuff as well as church stuff. This is good for me. I don't know if it's helping you or not, but this is good for me because it makes me think of things that I haven't thought about in years. See, in the early days of the church, in a lot of ways, we were more dependent on the Lord and the work of the Holy Ghost because we knew we didn't know. But as you gain experience, sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, Sometimes that experience comes at the expense of relying on the Lord for every part of the the work. See, I've done this enough now to where I know a little bit about what I'm supposed to do. Well, that's good. We should add experience to our faith and everything else that we're doing. But not at the expense of relying on the Holy Ghost. Folks, we're coming to a day where it's going to take the work of the Holy Ghost. It's going to take revelation of the Holy Spirit to overcome the forces of evil. Let's all stand. There's something the Holy Ghost wants me to say, and I'm not quite there yet. So let's just lift our hands and begin to praise him. Oh, bless your name, Lord Jesus. We bless your holy name. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. We magnify you. We don't want to be ignorant of your work, Holy Spirit. We don't want to be ignorant of the way that you operate. Bless your name, Lord. We worship you. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Ah, Yeah, there it is. Okay. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. We magnify you. We magnify you, Lord Jesus. Here's what the Holy Ghost is saying. If you will rely on me through the word and prayer and be sensitive to my voice, I will manifest myself in you and through you. For the days are evil and the time is short, and there is much work yet to be done. But truly, let it be known. That the name of Jesus shall be glorified. And his glory shall be seen and known in the earth. That's what the Holy Ghost is saying. That's what he's saying. Now let's praise him. We worship your Lord Jesus. We magnify your name. We glorify you Lord. Oh Father thank you for your great plan. The great plan of redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're the head of the church. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the helping agent, the one who manifests himself in revelation and in power and in utterance. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Magnify you. Blessed be your holy name, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done. But it's just been preparation. It's just been preparation for that which is yet to come. Foundation. Preparation. A foundation laid from which to work upon. Preparation to make ready for that which is yet to do. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Have your way in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not according to our plan or our purposes, but according to the plan of the Lord. The head of the church the builder of the church that his purpose may be accomplished that his plans may be carried out that his will may be done hallelujah hallelujah blessed be the name of Jesus Say it with me. Holy Spirit, Spirit, you are welcome in this place. place. Have your way in us and through us us. that people may be helped helped and blessed and and the secrets of men's hearts hearts may be made manifest, manifest that they will know that God is in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're getting there. We're not quite there yet. But there's a mist hanging over your head right now. Where the glory of the Lord is coming into this place. I believe it will get stronger and stronger. As our desires are in tune with His. When we want the right things for the right reasons. And yield ourselves to His will. And I furthermore believe that it will come to the place. Where even as it says in Solomon's temple when it was dedicated. That they could not stand to minister by reason of the glory of the Lord. Lord, let it be in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. well I'm done I'm free to go it's kind of hard to dismiss a service like this though Bible says in the Old Testament be still and know that I'm God there's a place where things just get quiet and the presence of God is known not felt not just experienced but known we're over into the edge of that now and we're just getting started Say it with me, the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.